Today we're going to talk about education and in a time where you know people are talking about we need to come down harder on kids, we need to really push them and really you know in, inflict more discipline and more control over everything, right. we're going to review an article today that makes the case for a little bit more gentleness in right. education. Yeah, the idea here is balance. Okay, yeah. we, we need some kind of balance because we all understand um, the need for rigor, for standards. Okay, and we're in a we're in a particular situation right now in American public education. American education, public and private, uh, is is standards based. Right. In other words, you have to you have to achieve certain standards, and the uh, push for standards really can be traced back to the 1980s mm-hmm. with. Um, you know that government report. Right. You know, a, a nation at risk. And right. That, that that's what set the panic, and it was during the 1980s that um, the Secretary of Education said, "We've got a problem here. Other countries are surpassing us. Their students are doing better on on uh, international examinations. Um, they're training more doctors and more engineers and more scientists, and mm-hmm. the United States is falling behind." Right. So that sort of set a little bit of a, a panic into the educational system. And through successive administrations, the first Bush administration and um, um, uh, Bill Clinton, Clinton's mm-hmm. administration, and the second Bush administration, there was this push for more rigor in education. Right. And we saw that most states, it was during those years that most states developed these standardized tests that everybody complains about. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and this is a very timely article to be talking about because <laughs> we're getting very close to testing season. That's right. It's almost time. Uh, for our kids to really be uh, put under the pressure uh, right. of some of these standardized tests, these high mm-hmm. stakes tests. And uh, again, you know, we think about it in terms of, of academics, but we also think about it in terms of behavior. You know, students, right. uh, very, a very interesting perspective is the idea that, you know, students are going to do better in school if they have more academic engaged mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, interestingly enough, um, especially at the younger elementary school ages, um, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that that's not necessarily the case. And because we assumed that it was. Right. I mean, for years and years and years, I remember back in the 70s, there was a big article by um, two, two uh, scholars, Good and Brophy, mm-hmm. you probably studied right. it in graduate mm-hmm. school, that said, well, we don't have enough instructional time. We have right. too much time changing classes, having lunch, having recess, and we're losing hours of instructional time every week. Mm-hmm. And that, that became the, right. the goal is to increase instructional time. By the time my children went to elementary, well, yours and mine, mm-hmm. went to elementary school, which was essentially in the early part of this century, the 90s mm-hmm. and the early 2000s, my kids didn't have recess. Right. They had a 20-minute lunch. Mm-hmm. They had no free time. It was work, work, work from mm-hmm. the time they got to school until the time they got home. They had no time to do anything right. except, so it, the, the pendulum swung mm-hmm. to the other extreme. Now, we understand that because this was also the time when um, we began to get concerned about global the global right. economy. And if mm-hmm. you're going to compete in the global economy, you have to create competent right. students who can read and, and right. calculate and do all these things. And so it was almost it was almost a panic right. that set in. And the push to have higher and higher standards and to make sure children were meeting those standards with these high stakes mm-hmm. tests. Okay. So it began in the eighties, increased in the nineties and the early two thousands. And um, and so while we understand why we had this push for standards, we're beginning to realize that, as you just said, maybe the solution isn't 
more higher expectations and more instructional time, right. maybe maybe we've lost something uh, right. in this effort. And, and the way in which that relates to behavior is that you know when it, when a students, especially elementary school age mm -hmm. boys, are expected and, and girls as well, but sure. when students are expected to sit in a desk for seven and a half hours a day mm -hmm. with maybe a twenty minute lunch and maybe you know thirty or forty minute um, specials, right. uh, which is oftentimes very structured now as well, where they happen to sit and and in, in, in yeah. art and music and P. My kids had to write term paper. Uh, my kids had to write essays in uh, PE. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, every, everything you did had to have a reading and writing component. Right. And so when there's no behavioral <clears throat> expression, when there's no opportunities to, you know, talk with their peers right. and to interact, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and to just burn off some energy, right. then you're going to get more behavioral issues in the right. classroom as well. So all of these things are tied together, um, both academics and behavior, mm -hmm. um, into this idea that we have to really tighten down everything for kids and, right. and make it very rigorous and very controlled. And, um, and again, this article today is going to talk a little bit about maybe a slightly different Getting perspective. Right, mm -hmm. because while that was going on, while this global economy and the push for higher and higher standards was going on, we also discovered, it was about this time that we discovered that there's a great deal of learning that occurs from birth to age five. Right. We, we kept, you know, typically our, our schools were set up that, I mean, I didn't go to kindergarten. It was, it was right. optional, you know, mm -hmm. whether your children went to kindergarten in one-room schools with a pot-belly stove and um, outhouses. outhouses. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> just have to um, go through this abuse when this topic comes up. The truth is amazing. So it was like, It will set you free, Richard. It was like a uh, pa little painting, rustic, uh, rural painting. Um, so anyway, it was at this time that we said, wait a minute, we're losing all these years of rapid learning. Mm -hmm. So let's not wait until kindergarten. If I want my kids to get into the elite universities of this country, let's start as early mm -hmm. as possible. Right. And so when you go to cities like San Francisco and New York and Chicago, we have these very expensive and very elite private, right. um, yeah. it actually starts at daycare, but this mm -hmm. is rigorous academic work for three and four year olds. Yeah. I mean, homework and oh, workbooks yeah. at three and four and five. And they're you know thirty and forty and fifty thousand dollars a year to get your children into the best um, elementary schools in those large cities. There's mm -hmm. ferocious competition right. among these individuals, uh, coaches mm -hmm. and uh, psych, you know uh, specialists who help kids get into these kindergartens. And it reminded me of a statistic that came out probably in the '80s that uh, reported that the highest suicide rates in the world among five-year-olds is in Japan because if their children didn't get into a certain kindergarten, it brought disgrace upon the family. And the children actually committed Harry Carey. Five-year-olds. Five-year-olds. The highest suicide rates in the world were five-year-olds in Japan because of this ferocious competition to get into the, to get into the single path to success for these people was this particular kindergarten. And it was one of those very high standard kindergartens. Yeah. And so, uh, so we have a similar thing here. We don't have increased suicide rates among five-year-olds, but we have that similar kind of pressure right. for five-year-olds. Yeah. Enormous pressure, especially in large cities. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if your child is, is, comes from an impoverished environment, programs like Head Start mm -hmm. are, are wonderful right. ways to get them uh, started uh, in academics. But for most children, they, there's no benefit to yeah. this very um, high level of stress and anxiety attached to you know education at ages three, four, and five. 
Absolutely. And, and there's so much that goes into all of this that we could we could dive mm -hmm. into because even with Head Start programs and those early childhood um, education programs, you know, there's there's so many strengths and, and benefits to those. Mm -hmm. But then there's also challenges and limitations, especially now that we have so many issues with overpopulation. And, you know, um, right. even in this small area where, where we live uh, here in Central Florida, um, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of new apartments and, and homes going up um, every year. Mm -hmm. And to think about the, the influx of, of people and students that that will um, introduce to the school system, um, it, it's, it's, it's really difficult to even it's fathom a, how, how we're going to manage all of this. Yeah, we live in a sort of a quiet mm -hmm. community and it, it was pretty stable, didn't change too much over time. Suddenly, it seems like in the last two years, right. there's been this um, this explosion of growth and where 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 is everybody coming yeah. from and where are these kids gonna go to school? Right. You see an apartment complex pop up that has, you know, hundreds, I guess hundreds, mm -hmm. not yeah. hundreds of units, that means hundreds of children. And yeah. our schools are already overcrowded. We yeah. have portables all over the, yeah. the yards. You wonder where everybody's going to go and how we're going to manage them. So here in Florida, it's managing rapid growth. Absolutely. I guess in some places, it's managing attrition. You yeah. know, the, the, the uh, people moving out of places. Uh, like you have to think that right, people are coming, moving out of some places to move to other places. Coming from but. somewhere. Now, the other thing, the other irony, uh, and I and the reason we like this article by Marty Nemco, and we've, we've done some other mm -hmm. um, analyses, some, some other uh, podcasts of his articles. One of the reasons we like this is because um, while standards are increasing and pressure is increasing, and, and in fact, what we have now are very um, elite private, private academies mm -hmm. uh, within the public school system. We call them magnet schools, okay? Right, right. They're, they're supposed to focus on, but what they really are is more pressure and, and higher standards. And so at a time when we have higher standards and uh, high stakes tests, it, it's ironic that we're also producing, by the time these kids get to universities and sometimes in high schools, they demand trigger warnings. Mm -hmm. And they demand um, um, trigger warnings and uh, victimhood, you mm -hmm. know, that you're imposing on me. And um, students are going to colleges today and they're saying, I don't, I don't want to be challenged. Um, I don't want to be forced to think about anything else. The president, I think it was the president of Yale, I think it was the president of Yale who wrote a letter. No, it was a, it was a school in the Midwest, and um, sort of an, an, a good, a very um, uh, private school with a very good reputation. And he said, "If you don't want to be challenged, don't come here, right. because we're going to challenge you. We're going right. to challenge your beliefs. Yeah. We're going to challenge what you've been thinking, because that's what the college experience should be." Yeah. So while we're raising standards don't challenge me and give me a trigger warning because if you're going to talk about anything that I find uncomfortable, I don't want to be in the room while you're doing that. In other words, don't challenge my belief systems. Right. You know? So it's a bit ironic that on the one hand we raise standards, on the other hand we want, we, we're making people who are very, very sensitive right. to anybody else's opinion. And, and I had a really interesting experience related to that um, in, in a class that I, a college class that I, I taught mm -hmm. re recently. Um, the, the end of course reviews came in and mm -hmm. one particular student, I have, of course I have no idea who the student is, but right. um, wrote a, a very lengthy critical analysis uh -huh. of, the, of the course. And one of the things, just as an example, one of the things that I do is 
um, because our, our time in class is so rel so relatively limited, right. um, I do all of my exams uh, online mm -hmm. with the assumption that they're going to use their book and, and right. those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so I create the test knowing that. Right. Um, and so the student, um, one of the critiques was that the, the student said, well, all of the exams were online, which means I didn't even have to study. I didn't really have to the words were, I didn't really have to learn anything because I could just use the book. Um, and so there was a Interesting. Yeah, because once again, it's, it wasn't, I don't want to learn anything that I don't have to learn. Right. Um, that this is within your field and within your domain of, of, of interest, supposedly. Professional development, and these right. are the skills that you're going to be using. A exactly. Right. You, you choose not to learn, right. in, your, in, in that person's right. words, choose not to learn the material because you don't have to. Right. Right. Interesting. 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 But we're, but we're doing that. We're doing that to kids because we're not teaching them the, the importance of learning and the importance of education and why they need to mm -hmm. learn these things. We're teaching them that just follow this rubric. Just do this. Just, just do this and you will pass. And so when we and talk passing about... passing is all that matters. Right. And we talk about skills-based learning. Right. Okay. What, what happened in the process, and I'm, this is one of those um, very sad unintended consequences is that's the singular focus now is on the skill don't let me i don't want to be challenged i don't want to do it any i want you to tell me what i have to learn i will then go mm -hmm. learn that yeah. and that's all i expect right. to have happen and what happens is by the time we get to college college should be a transformative experience yeah it certainly was for for my generation mm -hmm. and i think subsequent generations mm -hmm. that you went to college and when you were finished, you were very different at the end of that experience than when you... Imagine that. You're a senior in high school. Four or five years later, you have a college degree. But it's not the degree. It's not the skills. Right. It's the experiences that you've had, mm -hmm. the, the ups and downs right. and the failures and managing things. That's what changed you mm -hmm. into somebody very different right. than being a high school student. If all you do is add skills to a high school student, you still have a high school student. Right. Okay? So it's supposed to be transformative. And what Nemco is saying in this article is, we're not transforming people. Right. We're simply hanging a bunch of skills mm -hmm. that you. So now you can do this. You couldn't do this four years ago, but you can do it today. But you're still the same person. Right, right. You haven't challenged yourself. You haven't uh, thought about other ideas. You haven't tested other ideas. Um, and so, where's the skill? So, so we have this push for skills, but where is it taking right. us? Okay. Yeah. So in the article, he says. Maybe we ought to get some balance back, mm -hmm. starting at preschool. Maybe we ought to get a little balance back to reintroduce some of the things that make education a transformative experience mm -hmm. and not just the acquisition of skills. Right. Okay? And, and I like how he, and as we'll go, go into this, he, he breaks it up in um, elementary and middle school and then high school because there, right. there's some differences that we need to consider. That's right. This, so. That's right. And when we do, you know, when we talk about how children develop, or that children develop. Child development, um, human development, at every age, across the, um, the spectrum, um, is always in five areas. Mm -hmm. Gross motor, fine motor, language, cognition, and social emotional. We, it's a danger, it's always a danger to stress one or two at the expense of others. How many how many generations have we said, well, we want kids to do more than just play sports right. because they have to get an education mm -hmm. or they have to be nice people, okay? Right. So you can't sacrifice 
four domains of development just to develop right. their motor skills. Right. Okay? And, but we have slipped into this, we're developing their cognitive and language mm -hmm. skills at the expense of everything else. Right. Okay? And especially at the expense of social-emotional development. Exactly. And that's, what, that's the issue here, right. is that we're sacrificing social-emotional development for the acquisition of basic academic and, skills. And then we're surprised <clears throat> when our kids aren't social, that when they can't regulate their emotions and don't know how to interact and engage with others. That's right, they become self-centered, they become selfish, they become co too competitive, mm -hmm. uh, they're just looking out for themselves, and we wonder why, because that's what we've encouraged over the years. Right. You, you have to do better than everybody else yeah. in order to compete in the global economy. Right. Okay. So back to kindergarten. So at preschool, um, so what he says, he takes us through preschool, and then K through eight, mm -hmm. and then high school. So he said, if you look at this, try to return balance at all three levels. Mm -hmm. So at the preschool level, he said, if you're looking for a school that would develop all five areas, when you go in to look at a school, um, make sure that there isn't an overemphasis on academic activities, that kids aren't sitting quietly. Can you right. imagine? being three or four years old and made to sit in a, de I mean, what do kids do at that age? They run around and play. Right, okay. yeah, you, you have to make sure that the preschool allows them to play. That's right. The, if you go into a preschool and they're sitting quietly in desks and they're not talking to each other or talking quietly, a little bit of that is okay. Mm -hmm. right? But if that's the emphasis, working yeah. in workbooks, worksheets, mm -hmm. memorizing things, be very, very careful yeah. because the emphasis is there and it, and it can't be there and on other things. And, and, and parents, it's so attractive to see that and to say, wow, look at this and think about, mm -hmm. uh, just imagine how how strong our kids will be in these areas if we, if we put them in a preschool right. like that. But they're gonna sacrifice so many other things. And That's so right. it, it is attractive, but be, be mindful. Imagine my kid will be in kindergarten be reading at third or fourth grade level and that will continue so that by the time he gets to high school he can be a straight-a student and go to the Ivy League colleges or the right. the the um, flagship universities right. and we get Meanwhile, five-year-old may end up wanting to be a uh, an electrician or a, a firefighter or a firefighter or, or a police officer or something that right. doesn't require a Ivy League education that's right you know right. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. Um, he mentions a guy by the name of Del David Elkind, who was at Harvard, wrote a mm -hmm. book called The Hurried Child, and now re recently The Power of Play. And he's saying, there's nothing wrong with kids playing. Right. How many times do we hear parents say, well, when I was a kid, we went out and played. Yeah, but yet we don't. But yet we've, revert <laughs> we've done just the opposite right. in schools. Yeah. So while we, on the one hand, value the power of play, and we long for the days when our kids mm -hmm. would just run outside and play around for a while, create their own games, create their own rules. I mean, right. that's how you learn how to interact with other people. What have we done? We've created just the opposite in mm -hmm. our schools. Right. You know, just a singular focus on basic skills. Absolutely. Okay? So then we move up to the kindergarten through grade eight. What should mm -hmm. we look for? Okay. Yeah. And quite simply, he says, you got to look for a school that is interested in developing the whole child, right. all five areas. Right. Okay. Be especially wary if you walk into a school and you notice or feel competition among the students, right. that there's somehow, there's a lot of competition in the mm -hmm. room, okay? That would be a bad thing, yeah. all right? Yeah, because it's not allowing them to, it's not teaching them collaboration. Right. It's teaching them individualization, right. but not the importance of uh, community and connectedness and right. working together. Right. Um, and what you want to avoid is, I have a real, 
this is a trigger warning for me. Avoid anything that creates winners and losers. Right. Okay. By winners and losers, we mean, uh, you know, schools used to have these award ceremonies. You know, yeah. that those are awards for genetics. Okay. There's nothing about that that's good for kids. There, there needn't be competition. We shouldn't be rewarding the highest achievers right. because the highest achievers are the highest achievers every grading period, right. every year. Yeah. Um, in fact, I would do with valedictorians. I mean, well, you know, and what's what's interesting now, certainly winners and losers is okay in, in sports and things like that, because right. that's the that's the um, that's a, a, a forum appropriate that's, to that. That's where emotional development occurs. So there should be winners and losers. But there. It, it blows my mind when students get, you know, perfect attendance awards um, in like elementary school. Right. Well, the reason that they're at school every day is because their parent brings them. Right. It's right. not like the child chooses, I'm going to go to school or not go right. to school. Well, hopefully they're not choosing mm-hmm. whether or not they go to school. The child is not choosing to be sick. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so. If they if they miss school because they're sick. So we're, we're rewarding perfect attendance, which it's great to be at school every day. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you have to, to, to be at school every day if you want to be exposed right. to the academics and everything. Mm-hmm. However... Most kids don't have, you know, control over that. That's right. Until you get, until you can drive right. your own car, yeah. you know, um, you have no control over that. So it's really the parent who's getting the reward. Yeah. I mean, they're the ones who are setting it yeah. up. I, I, and I don't get punishing kids for right. frequent tardies. Yeah. Well, you know, how, how many how, t- is that, how is that second grader getting to school except how for his <laughs> parents? So you're going to punish the kid because the parent gets into school late. You were telling me a story recently about one of your patients or some kid that you met who, who said, I, I can't do Well, my mom's not here. Yeah. You know, she's not available. I mean, I, I'd love to be at school, yeah. but if my parents aren't here or they don't drive me or they don't wake up, I can't do anything about that. What's he gonna do? I can't put pressure on my parents. Right. You know, yeah. or I can, but I run the play, risk play of... Play the consequence for that. Right. That's right. So... Any, if you walk into any school, anything where there's competition, mm-hmm. I, I always tell the same story that, um, no, that's probably t- saying too much. Any, any school that you walk into, when they create competition with awards, prizes, mm-hmm. special recognition, be very cautious because right. those, those kinds of competitive places um, are really not very good for children. They're mm-hmm. good for some kids who are always winning. Right. But for the other kids, you take a, a, an elementary school of 500 kids, there can only be one student who's the top student. Okay. Right. So 499 get to watch. Okay. Right. That's not how education works. Right. Okay? Or that's not how, that should be on the athletic field. Right. Who's the fastest? Only right. one person can be the fastest. Okay? Right. And that's an appropriate place to have a winner. And we're we're against participation trophies and all that. Okay. Right. There should be winners on an athletic field. Right. There shouldn't be winners and losers in a classroom. Right. Okay. Yeah. Second, are students productively engaged or are they miserable? Yeah. You know, and that's another. You can. You're in the schools. Right. You walk in a school. You walk in a classroom. You can tell whether those kids are enjoying what they're doing and benefiting. Right. And I'm not that. I'm not talking about having a good time. I'm simply saying, do they seem to enjoy what they're doing, or are they miserable? And often, so often, that has to do with the relationship between the kids and the teacher. That's right. That's about relationships. You know, do they enjoy being with this person? How 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 easy is it to learn from someone that you think cares about you? Right. That's right. And so when you can tell that that climate in a classroom mm-hmm. when the students are there and they know that the teacher cares about them and, right. and is interested, and so. Again, if you're if you go to check out a, a new school and 
the competition is there not just for the students, mm -hmm. but also for mm -hmm. the teachers. Right. Right. Because the teachers are under this pressure that they have mm -hmm. to perform or they have to do, you know, be, be mindful right. of that and be wary of, uh, of those right. kinds of environments. That's right. The other thing to do is check out their homework policies. Yeah. Okay. Um, see how much homework, why it's assigned, is it graded? Because once again, if they have a rigorous homework policy and the homework is evaluated in any way, whether it's weighted, unweighted, whatever it is, if homework seems to be an important part of what they're doing, a lot of memorization, a lot of homework, um, be wary, be very, very cautious. Because first of all, there isn't any, I think you you were talking about this. Didn't you do a talk about homework mm -hmm. recently? Yeah. And you, you, you I, one of the points you wanted to make was there's no correlation right. between homework and academic success. No, there's not. And, and, and in fact, one of the, the schools that I work at is is really strongly moving into the direction of, uh, of basically a no required homework policy. Right, right. Um, and, and there is very little research to suggest that homework in and of itself is, right. is really effective. Certainly studying and those kinds of things is important, right. but mm -hmm. you teach those skills and you, you encourage right. students to do that. But to say, you know, you have this worksheet to do mm -hmm. and it's gonna be graded the next day and- Again, uh, you're not evaluating the kid, you're evaluating the family. Right, because there right. are so many factors that come into play as soon as the student leaves mm -hmm. the school campus that influences whether or not that student's going to get the homework done and then, then they get a grade. Right, then they're graded. And, and, and it's just, it just is so unfair to the children, right. okay? Even and, if you do, um, um, whether they did it or not, right. a, a, a pass-fail type of yes, right. they did it or no, they didn't mm -hmm. do it. Even if you did that, you know, you have no idea what happened in that child's life as soon right. as they left the school to even have any idea as to whether the kid could sit down for five minutes and mm -hmm. put the pencil to the paper. That's right, right. And so be careful of homework policies. We all, everybody thinks, oh, you gotta have homework, you gotta have rigor. But in saying that, you're back to the same idea. Mm -hmm. You gotta push, you gotta have standards. Right. No, be careful of that because you're backing into the mm -hmm. same problem of focusing on one thing at the expense right. of everything else. Absolutely. Um, what about extracurricular activities? And this, this really begins to happen in late elementary, mm -hmm. middle school, and especially in high school. Right. Are kids um, uh, joining clubs and organizations just to build their resume, just to pad their resume for college, or are these things that they really like to do? Right. You know, do I really want to be in the band, or am I just going to play the cymbals because I need to be in the band, or I need to be on the tennis team, so I'll be, mm -hmm. I'll just join and never compete. I'm just, but I can put it on my resume that right. I was a member of the tennis and, team. And or is tennis something I way. enjoy? And students think that way. That's right. They, they join clubs just so they can have a lot mm -hmm. of activities under that part of the college application. Yeah. It's not that they're enjoying these things. Right. It's they know they have to sign up, so they sign up. Right. Doesn't have any meaning. And then finally, the whole issue of overscheduling. Mm -hmm. um, that yeah. if if my kids are going to have a, if my kids are going to have a sterling resume by the time they get out, of the the mm -hmm. you know they need a hundred in Florida, they need a hundred service hours. Right. But wouldn't it be better if they had five hundred service hours? Yeah. And so we overschedule our kids, or right. we lie about what they're doing, and get our friends to say, yeah, I did ten service hours. So be very careful yeah. of that kind of thing. Why, why are kids doing it? And are they really enjoying it or not? And should, of course, we shouldn't be overscheduling them. Right. So in our country today, there are too many kids who have way too much free time. Mm -hmm. And what are they doing with that free time? I can tell you what boys are doing with that free time. They're playing video games. Video games. Mm -hmm. Okay. So some kids have way too much free time 
and they're not using it wisely. And other kids are completely overscheduled and not using it wisely. Right. So that's why Nemco in this article talked, let's get some balance. Let's right. get some balance Absolutely. back here, okay? Yeah. Then when you get to high school, of course, for many, many children, the pressure is to get into the elite colleges, right. okay? That and just the right school. And, and let's be mindful that when we're talking about some of the high school stuff, we're, we're, we are still talking about middle school because we have seventh grade, sometimes sixth graders, taking high school level courses. That's right. And so that pressure begins there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I've seen sixth and seventh graders who are taking honors high school algebra, right. a, a freshman course um, that's two or three years above their, you know, Age. developmental level. Mm -hmm. um, and here they are under that pressure already when they're not even socially, emotionally mature enough to be able to handle some of that kind of pressure. They're, they're still struggling with being an early teenager, right. which is the most, the two or three years at, from puberty out. Those are the most difficult years yeah. for teenagers. By the time they're 17 or 18, things have calmed down. Mm -hmm. The difficult years for teenagers are the first couple of years. Right. So now you're taking these kids going through the worst part of adolescence and saying, here, let's take algebra one when you're 11 or 12 right. years old. You right. know? Don't be seduced by that. If you're a parent, don't be. You kids don't have to take algebra. I don't care what their what scores are. What are they hurrying are. to? There's no, there's no reason for that to happen. Right. Yeah, bragging rights. My kid took algebra one in the eighth grade. You don't need to. Okay. It's right. like, it's like, it's just. There's no need for any kid in right. middle school to take a, a high school course. It's not necessary. It's not healthy for some kids. Yeah, it might be fun, and they'll do fine. But that's just a handful of kids. But it goes back to, are they doing it because they enjoy it, or are right. they doing it because they feel the pressure that they have to? That's right. And so what we're, what the goal is, is, well, you have to get into the elite university mm -hmm. in your state or in the country, mm -hmm. okay? And so um, in, in, our, in our world, in Florida, mm -hmm. the elite university is the University of Florida. Everybody said, that's the standard, okay? I'm going to get into right. UF. I'm right. going to get into the University of Florida. When you're talking about state schools here in Florida. Right, yeah. in Florida. Mm -hmm. And so you have, well, so it starts with, do I want to go to a community college, uh, mm -hmm. one of our state schools, which offer, uh, yeah. to get your first two years out of the way is perfectly okay. Right. Okay. Or do I want to go to, do I have to go to a four-year? Parents come into the office and they say, well, you know, he's going to mess up and he's going to have to go to Polk State. Yeah. That's not a failure. That's where I went. <laughs> nobody, nobody, has, nobody has failed. Right. You Polk State doesn't mean failure. Polk State means a little bit different path. You're going to take two years here, and you can still go on to a four-year university. Because it's like, especially when you're not even quite sure what you want to do. <laughs> That's right. I don't even know whether I want to go to college. Right. Okay. You know, and I, I, I tell a lot of the kids, that, teenagers and high schoolers that I work with and parents mm -hmm. that, um, you know, I went to Polk State. Right. Well, it was Polk Community College at that time. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and I think a lot of them are surprised, <laughs> not for any reason except right. that, um, oh, so you can still go to graduate school if you go to a community college. I know a guy who went to Polk, it was Polk Community College in those years, had to drive this old clunker to Winter mm -hmm. Haven because mm -hmm. there wasn't one here. Became a pharmacist, very successful, yeah. went to the best pharmacy program in the state of Florida, mm -hmm. worked all of his life. I mean, it's just a different path, okay? Yeah. Um, there's, no, there's no failure here. Nobody has failed anything. So then, so there's community college or four-year college. Then it's, well, I want my child to go to UF. They can't go to UCF or USF. Right. You know, there isn't a vast difference between UF and USF. Right. Both can lead, will lead to success. And in fact, just as, a, just as a, an interesting mm -hmm. note, 
Um, Because I had this conversation with a couple of high school students, recent graduates that that I talked to. Um, They were looking to, they want to go to, they eventually want to go, they want to go to medical school. Right. And so they want to go to Florida, uh, University of Florida, so that they can do their pre-med there and then Mm -hmm. go to medical school there at Florida. Well, University of Florida, traditionally, and Mm -hmm. and like many uh, medical schools, they don't typically take graduates from they don't their, take their own, own school. graduates right they take a handful right you know, they're very selective so mm-hmm. if you go to the university of florida for your undergraduate mm-hmm. the probability is very low that you're going to go to university of florida for not because school. you're not qualified but right. because they, they will only accept so many because they want to get students from other places right. okay so it may have nothing to do with your academic right. record okay yeah. so don't don't worry about that it's a, it's not worth crushing a kid for right. four years of high school to go to USF rather than UF. It just, you're not getting that much more. It's really not, I mean, you're talking about, I'm gonna be an unrelenting weight on my child Mm -hmm. for four years of extracurricular activities, of homework, of grades, of grade point averages, forcing and pushing and shoving. And the difference isn't worth it. And at the next level, UF versus Ivy League, Okay. Yeah. Imagine yeah. the enormous pressure you put mm-hmm. a kid under to get ready for an Ivy League um, yeah. application versus a state school application. Mm-hmm. It just it just yeah. isn't worth it. The yeah. difference the difference between Ivy League and a and the University of Michigan, the University of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. the University of Florida, University of Georgia, Isn't it's that, not that yeah. much different. Now, if you grew up in that world and you went to private schools and private high schools and then you go to private uni- private colleges, that's a very different situation. Mm-hmm. But for most of us, it just isn't worth it. Right. And and it's not worth the pressure that we put on kids, okay? GPA, mm-hmm. how high is high enough? Yeah. We talk about that all the time. Oh my God, my child is a 4.2, but we gotta get it to a 4.5. Yeah. How do you get that? You have to take college classes. Right. You have to take extra AP classes. Right. In effect, you have to ruin your life to get those boosts. To 4.2 mm-hmm. to 4.5. And I'm not sure. For, I'm not sure that any college is gonna is going to. That's going to be a decisive factor. Right. The two or three tenths of a point is going to be the decisive factor. Right. I just don't think it's going to be. Yeah. And when you think of all that you're adding to a kid's life, it just isn't worth it. Right. Okay. All right. Is Harvard worth it? Yeah. No. Okay. I don't think so. Not worth it. I mean, if you can slide into Harvard and you do well, perfectly okay. Okay. But don't ruin your child's life for four years to think that it's going to be worth going to Harvard. And Malcolm Gladwell talks about that in David and Goliath, that girl who went to Brown, the the, the premier, the hardest school to get the lowest acceptance rate Mm -hmm. of any university is Brown University. She got into Brown. She got a B on a test and fell apart and dropped out of school and hasn't gone back. Because yeah. okay. the pressure was so enormous. Mm-hmm. She'd have been better off going to the University of Michigan or the University of Pennsylvania where she could mm-hmm. have enjoyed life a little bit and still ended up with a first-rate prestige yeah. degree. Okay. Absolutely. So keep in mind, the impact of whether you go to Stanford or Berkeley or Florida State or Florida or UCF, the, the impact... The factors are genetics, parenting, peers, and neighborhood. Right. They will have a greater effect right. than anything else you do. Absolutely. Okay? I mean, that we know. So, right. so, so if, you're, if, you're, if your child is, is going through this high school experience, mm-hmm. ease up, ease yeah. up. Um, it, all the pushing and the prodding and the anger and the anguish right. 
probably isn't buying you what you think it's buying you. Right. And this okay. is, again, the, the whole idea is we need to reintroduce a little bit of gentleness right. into, into this. That's we, right. we don't have to keep pushing. We don't have to keep pressing. Mm-hmm. Um, no. There can be a little bit of gentleness. Right. All that said, we're parents. We completely understand the fear and the anxiety mm-hmm. sure. of wanting to do as much as you can for your child. Mm-hmm. Okay. We talk about lawnmower parents. We talk about snowplow parents. We talk about helicopter parents. We get all that. We are parents. And we understand we want to do... We want to make sure we're doing all we can for our children. Now, if your child has a special gift, a special talent, very, very special abilities, and I'm talking about kids who in seventh or eighth grade are able to do college classes. Okay, that's a special talent. The fact that you can get an A instead of an A minus or a B, that's not a special talent. Okay, I'm talking about kids who are true, whether it's athletics, um, academics. I don't care what it is. Mm-hmm. If your child has a special talent, yes, that has to be carefully nurtured. Mm-hmm. Not pressured, nurtured. Right. Okay. So by all means, nurture it. But be very careful. And he, he ends up with a quote. I think it was Nemco who ended up with a quote. And he said, um, a fire can be increased by a little bit of wind, but a candle can be put out with too much. Right. Okay. And that's what you need to be careful of. Okay. So yes, gently... Mm-hmm. assist and help yeah. but develop all areas of your child right. make room for everything make room for social emotional development and athletic development and academic development make room for all of them it doesn't require enormous pressure right. the pressure probably isn't getting you or your child as much as you think it might right that that's the message here in this article yeah. so let your child enjoy this experience, this growth experience that high school should be, um, instead of um, pushing for that little tiny advantage that you think you're getting. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And again, that begins in preschool. So Start in preschool. Start from the beginning. Right. So. All mm-hmm. right. Well, that then is it for today. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.